Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two, episode two of Both Sides of the Stethoscope podcast. I'm here with Aline. As you know, I'm Colby. We are both heart transplant recipients and uh, physicians as current fellows working right now in the medical field. That is just an introduction for any new listeners we may be grabbing onto right now. Hi, everyone. Uh, So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about having not only genetic heart diseases, but part of this will just be about having genetic diseases in general that you can pass on, you know, through a family line. So we'll first get into Aline's and then a little bit of mine, and then we'll kind of be shooting back and forth about, you know, how we've dealt with this. So for you, Aline, um, if people remember to your first time we, we talked about your heart condition, you had mentioned that it was genetic. So tell me the, the name of it and kind of how you came to the understanding of, you know, it, it being a genetic disease. Sure. So I have a mutated DSP gene. Well, I guess, first of all, we should start with, I, I tried to look up the exact number and I couldn't really find like an exact number, but somewhere between 30 and 50% of cardiomyopathies in general are genetic. And then, of course, there's also different types of cardiomyopathy. So there's dilated cardiomyopathy, which is what I had. There's uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is what Kobe had, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's restrictive cardiomyopathy. So there's a bunch of different types of cardiomyopathy, and then there's different pathogenesis of cardiomyopathy and all that. So we're just specifically talking about genetic cardiomyopathies, and those could um, present as both dilated or, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in, uh, hypertrophic. And I'm not sure about restrictive, if that could be genetic. I believe there there's different kinds out there that can be okay. genetically passed on for restrictive. Okay. Um, so those are the different types of cardiomyopathies. I myself have uh, or had a dilated cardiomyopathy caused by the DSP gene mutation. DSP basically is a gene that codes for the protein desmoplakin, and desmoplakin plays a role in basically kind of like putting heart muscles together. So you know, with all that being said, it's basically a, a disease of the muscle of the heart caused by a protein that kind of makes the heart muscle function not as easy to to build up, I guess, is the best way that I could put it. I was diagnosed, like, unfortunately, my first ever symptom of this was cardiogenic shock. Like, I didn't know I ever had this gene mutation until well after I was diagnosed and well after my heart transplant. It, my dad also has dilated cardiomyopathy, and he also got genetic testing done, and it looks like he also has the DSP gene mutation. And his father died of some sort of heart issue when he was like 40. So we assume that this was just a genetic thing. And the reason why I never, you know, got genetic tested beforehand was because I didn't even know like any of this existed. My, I knew my dad had heart issues, but he didn't know his was genetic. So that's kind of how I was diagnosed with my gene mutation. How about you, Kobe? Yeah. So for me, I, you know, don't have anyone in my family with heart disease my dad had like a valve replacement, but it had nothing to do with like a genetic heart disease. So as I mentioned before, I was just having trouble with playing athletics. As I kind of got older, it started to become uh, harder and harder for me to really breathe during these. So when I initially got diagnosed through echocardiogram when I was young, they're like, this is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And for the most part, people know that like this is a familial disease that gets passed on in families, but gene mutations can occur that start, you know, 
as this is initially how it would have, you know, become part of families, there's always got to be someone who, you know, is the first one, which luckily, lucky me that, you know, that's who I am in my family. Um, And so I had a gene mutation that occurred. So I carry now a gene mutation in the MYH7 gene, which is one of the common causes of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And so, you know, I'm thankful that no one else in my family has it. And, you know, unfortunately, though, I, I do. And so, although my parents don't have it, I didn't have any grandparents with it, it does follow what's called an autosomal dominant pattern, which means that there's pretty much a 50% chance that if I had kids that my, my children would be at risk of developing this. And I think one of the toughest things about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is that it's one of the more common genetic heart diseases. It's, I think, the prevalence at this time is documented somewhere around 1 in 500 but the the phenotype of it, meaning like how it presents in a person is so drastic in terms of how severe to how minimal it can be. There's people out there who go on to live and die with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy without ever knowing they even had it because they never had symptoms or anything. Or there's people like myself who it becomes so severe that they end up with heart transplants. So you never really know what version of it you're going to get, um, to put it simply. But I think a 50% risk is a, still a very high risk. And Aline, do you know it is yours or autosomal dominant as well? Yeah, so mine is autosomal dominant, um, which basically means there's a 50-50 chance of your children uh, having the, the gene as well. So, And it, doesn't, it usually doesn't skip generations. So you're going to see one person with it in each generation. When I got diagnosed, that prompted everybody in my family to get to get genetic testing and to get echoes done. So my dad's sister and her family ended up getting echoes and genetic genetic testing and they don't have it. So obviously this gene that was passed on from my dad's dad just went to him and not his sister, uh, or at least that's what all the tests show. Um, And then from my family, so my brother, I have a brother who had to also get his echo done. Um, We got a couple of those until we figured out what gene it was. And then he actually just did genetic testing like, just a few months ago, and he does not have the gene. So basically, I was the lucky one in my family who ended up getting it. So I have a question um, that came in. This is actually before we even started the podcast, but it is perfect for this episode. I got a question from a a heart transplant group from one of the people who also had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, And what she had asked me was, you know, what is your plans in terms of having children knowing that you can pass this along to your kids. Um, and it's, she was asking me because uh, she was already past like childbearing age. And she had said that, you know, she would not be having, she did not have children and she did not plan on having children because she had gotten diagnosed with it early on and was like, Hey, I'm definitely not going to pass this along. So me and Aline kind of, we'll talk about that. So Aline, when you, I think your thoughts on having children were already set in place before you knew you had this diagnosis as well. Yeah, actually. So it's a common thing that a lot of women my age or women of childbearing age think about when they get diagnosed with these heart issues that are genetic. Uh, And then also the fact that I have a heart transplant makes it, you know, it's not, it's not that you can't get pregnant. It's recommended to not get pregnant or, or bear children of your own just because when you get when you do get pregnant, your cardiac output increases. So there's a lot more stress on your heart. And you already, if you already have a heart transplant, it just makes it a little more complicated. Again, it's not that you can't get pregnant. It's just a little more high risk. 
Um, and also the medications that we're on are teratogenic, where they can cause detrimental effects to the fetus that you're bearing. So they do have to change those around. So if you do plan on getting pregnant with a heart transplant, there's a few things you need to take into consideration. Um, obviously, there's always adoption, which is a beautiful way to go. And there's also surrogacy you can also do. But I think the, the general recommendation is don't get pre- or try not to get pregnant. If you do really want to have children, um, you go see a high risk obstetrician, which is uh, uh, OB-GYN, basically. So that was kind of one thing I'd take into consideration. Um, and then the other thing was, if you do have this genetic illness, do you, you know, are you comfortable with pa- possibly passing it on to your to your children? Luckily, like this was all kind of made up for me beforehand. I actually like have never wanted to have children. Um, I know that's not what a lot of people want. So it is a more difficult decision for women my age who do want to have children. Uh, I remember that was actually an extensive conversation that they had with right before my transplant was you do understand that you might not be able to have children. Um, There's implications, blah, 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 blah. And I was kind of like, nope, I've never really wanted them anyway. So it kind of made it a little bit easier for me because it was just never a life goal of mine. However, I do know that you want children and you have a genetic heart disease. So what do you plan on doing? Yeah, um, it's definitely something that I thought about for a really long time. And even when I was younger and stuff, I was like, oh, man, like I, you know, would went on to get a biology degree. And so I started to learn what autosomal dominant meant and knew that there was a high risk of my kids getting this. And I had met patients along the way who were like with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy who had decided, you know, they would not have children. And so this is kind of one of the things where I'm kind of happy that I have the medical background that I do, because then I started to learn about kind ways to go about having children when you have a genetic disease. So thankfully, you know, I don't have to worry about my heart. You know, I'm, I'm not the one who needs to get pregnant. But for me and my wife and my, my future family, we wanted to decide how do we avoid passing along this genetic disease that led to me having a heart transplant. I don't think it would be fair of me to possibly bring, you know, children into the world with the idea that they would need heart transplants and go through a lot of the difficult things that I have. Um, and so eventually when it comes time for children and stuff, um, I've looked into the use of pre-implantation genetic testing, which is a form of IVF, um, which is, um, you know, in vitro fertilization where you're able to make embryos and test them for your gene mutation prior to implantation. So I thankfully have, we're in 2022 and medical advancements are amazing, which is why you and I are able to sit here and have a podcast after having our hearts replaced with someone else's heart. And with this, by having my genome mapped and knowing exactly what mutation I have, we can move forward and have embryos made and test the embryos. And if the embryo is you know, it does not have my mutation, we can go ahead and use that embryo and know full well that the the children we have one day will not have my genetic disease. And so the plan at this time would have a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in my family, at least start and end with me. That's crazy. You know, you told me about this right before the episode started. And I was like, I didn't even know that technology existed. I just know about CRISPR. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah. And CRISPR is crazy. And, you know, that's where they talk about like making uh designer babies and stuff yeah. and i don't know where crispr is actually being done but this this is a technology that makes sense to me and and, yeah. and you know so it's something though that would not be possible years and years ago and it's something that 
I, I, a lot of times I'm thankful to be living in the, the day and age I am to have gotten a transplant, to be doing well after transplant and to have the ability to still have children that are mine and my wives, you know, it's our, our DNA. Don't give cardiomyopathy too. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, and we, we leave cardiomyopathy as a, as a thing of the past in, in my family, which is amazing. And, and thankfully I have an amazing wife who knowing what I've been through and I actually met her after transplant. So she didn't even know me when I was dealing with, with heart disease. So she only has known me with a, with what I call my healthy heart. And um, so for her to, to be willing to, to understand what I went through and why we, I wouldn't want to put children through that and to do all that with me is, is amazing. Yeah, that is really amazing. We love you, Colby's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she listens to these, right? Yeah, she does. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, she's a um, supporter of, of what we're doing here. Awesome. I was going to say, I, I think one thing that a lot of people will or sometimes ask about is the fact that so yours was not inherited, but you could still pass it on. And I think I wanted to just clarify that when there's genetic mutations, there's two ways you can get it. One way is by, you know, if one of your parents has it, but the other way is just a random mutation that happens to happen at, you know, when you're at some point in your life. Now yours was the latter, right? Exactly. And so, you know, we all have our DNA and it's made up of different letters are made up for, for yeah. we, we assign letters to different we'll learn pro- this at some point in med school I promise yeah. and so you you assign different letters to different proteins and they make up your DNA and stuff and mine was actually just a single transition from an A to a T um, we don't need to get into the stupid details um, about That's what, crazy. That, just what one that means tiny transition. one transition from an That's A to a T crazy. led to the mutation and the myh7 gene and now I carry the diagnosis of hypertrophic hermopathy and with that mutation that mutation occurred like throughout so it's it's not like it just occurs and you get the disease and then it goes away it's like that i carry that mutation now in my genetic makeup and because of that there's a 50 percent chance that i would pass it on and it's crazy to like conceptualize that and stuff but you know at its most basic form it's like I now carry this disease and this genetic makeup for it. So now there's a 50% chance and I refuse to pass that along. So I have found ways to, yeah. to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the genetic mutation that me and my dad have, and I assume his father had was actually, it's actually the first documented one. Like the DSP gene is known to cause DCM and uh, I believe ARVC, but they just, have never documented this particular mutation, which I thought was kind of cool, at least. I was like, uh, so, so I think, you know, it's never been written about or talked about in papers, which I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> no, that's definitely interesting. One of a kind. Yeah, exactly. We're one of a kind. Yeah. Until now, who knows how it actually started. Maybe my grandpa or, or one of his parents had a mutation and then that just kept getting passed on. And here we are. Yeah, and I think we're talking about it in terms of heart disease, but there's so many different genetic diseases out there. Um, and, you know, although it's clearly something personal, I would recommend anyone kind of just try and educate themselves on the different options that are out there for people with genetic diseases. Because um, as technology only gets better and better, 
there's going to be more ways to try and have healthy kids and, and try and avoid having them have to deal with medical conditions. And I'm never going to be one to promote anything like designer babies. That's a whole different yeah. <laughs> scenario, but to, to make sure that you can not pass along possibly deadly diseases is something that I'm super, that I would promote completely and be super behind as, as a possibility for people out there dealing with this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's another thing that I want to talk about with people who have genetic, dis- I mean, genetic cardiomyopathies, but also this goes to like genetic diseases too, is the, the kind of the concept of penetrance or like how much of your genes are actually expressed in your phenotype or your physical um, appearance or, you know, what actually expresses in your heart if it's a cardiomyopathy. So penetrance is this concept where basically um, it's the probability of a gene or trait being expressed. Even so, so even if it's autosomal dominant, you might have like a much weaker form of it. So for example, like my dad has cardiomyopathy or DCM and it's caused by the same gene, but like knock on wood, he's never been in heart failure. He's just been on goal-directed medical therapy since his like 30s or 40s. Um, and his EF was really low at some point, like it was 15 to 20% just incidentally found on, on one of his um, uh, physical exams when he was like around my age. And they assumed that it had been due to myocarditis because at that time they didn't do genetic testing, I assume. Um, but anyways, once, but people ask me, they're like, how come your dad doesn't have a transplant? I'm like, you know, what, what, even though his EF was really low, he was able to go on medical therapies and his EF is now um, much better. It's not normal, but it's much better. And he's able to just live with his uh, DCM as opposed to mine that like kind of just showed up as cardiogenic shock. And penetrance is basically the reason why that happens. It, just because you have the gene doesn't mean you're going to express it the same way as your parent. Um, some some forms are going to be a lot uh, worse than others. Exactly. And uh, HCM is one of the, the genetic diagnoses that show this like really well in terms of how different it can be. So I know I've, I've run into some families out there with like five or six people in the family all have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and some of them are elderly and, you know, or much older and went through their whole lives playing sports, doing whatever they want, had no idea they even had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And then some members of the exact same family, same gene mutation need heart transplants because their hypertrophic cardiomyopathy got so bad that they were in like florid heart failure. So it's just one of those things that like Aline was saying is how the the penetrance occurs um, can completely change how this affects you or, or a family member. So although there's a 50% chance that children of mine would, would get it, I don't know how severe it would be, or maybe even significantly mild, it would be just not a, not a risk worth taking. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's another thing. I, I have a genetic cardiologist at Mount Sinai and she's the one who kind of did all the testing for me. But there's another interesting thing is like this field of genetic cardiology or genetic cardiomyopathies. Um, every month they're getting more and more genes that are kind of getting pulled into the reason why people get cardiomyopathy. So like 20 years ago, um, they didn't have all these gene names. And then now they have like dozens of them, if not hundreds of them. And then they anticipate that like every year, they're just going to find more and more genes and gene mutations that are uh, causing these cardiomyopathies. So like one of my friends 
has uh, what they, they still can't find the reason as to why she had it, but she was 28 when she got diagnosed with um, DCM and she was in acute heart failure at that time, kind of like around the same time as me. And then even though they did genetic testing on her and they, they couldn't find the gene, they said that hers was still probably some sort of gene mutation. It just hasn't been figured out yet. So that's another thing to keep into consideration. Some people are always wondering like the reason why things happen, um, which is good. For me, it's, you know, just because they can't find the reason now doesn't mean that it's not genetic. It just means that we haven't identified the gene mutation yet. That's actually when I was looking into this and I was going to go get my own genetic testing done. I um, was hoping that I would get one of the genes that was well known because it made it much easier for decision making yeah. on my end. Um, because there are they are finding more and more that they're like, oh, this maybe could be a, one of the causes, but they don't have enough information yet until they are able to get more and more people with a certain disease to say, oh, they all have this genetic mutation. So like I said, I think it's one of those things where the technology in medicine is just getting more and more and more advanced every single day. And I think this is just going to become more mainstream and more easier for people to kind of deal with and hopefully be the towards the end of ending a lot of these genetic heart diseases and other genetic diseases. So to end, we'll do one uh, listener question. Got this on Instagram from Tracy. She asks, how do you handle avoiding sun? She says she was told there's high risk for skin cancer in patients who are immunocompromised. What do we do to avoid too much sun? Um, Which is a great question. Um, So thankfully, I don't have to worry about it right now, as does Aline, as we live in the Northeast. So we are not in the sun. It's the heart of of winter. Um, But for me, um, I've actually had three areas of, of skin cancer. Um, since my transplant. So I had all basal cell, um, which is a nice, pretty benign skin cancer um, that just needed some quick removal. But it was a nice wake up call to me that, hey, you are definitely at risk because, you know, being in my 30s, I shouldn't have this much basal cell yet. This is definitely coming from having had a transplant. Um, So for me, I just try and put on sunscreen and wear a hat. I guess that's like the the simplest way to put it. I mean, I don't, like I said, I live in the Northeast, so I have seasons where it's not like I'm down in Southern Florida where it's nice out 24 seven. I could just go outside all the time. But I, I, the biggest thing I can recommend is just wearing sunscreen all the time. It's the simplest way to avoid any, you know, significant cancer formations on the skin. Um, you're a little bit, I'm definitely more fair skin than you though. So how, how do you deal with it? Yeah. So, um, so yearly we do see dermatologists that kind of look at everything and then, or I mean, look at our skin obviously, but also uh, risk stratify, like how likely you are to get skin cancer. I have darker skin. I'm still very much at high risk for it, but let's say not as much as somebody with lighter skin. With that being said, I wear sunscreen as much as possible. Yes. Even if you're not outdoors all the time, which I'm barely ever outdoors, Um, because I'm a fellow, I still wear sunscreen. Um, I wear like a moisturizer on my face that has uh, SPF. I don't know what the actual recommendation is. I just go for at least SPF 30, uh, which I've been told is fine. And then try to wear a hat as much as possible when it is sunny outside. And just, I try to just avoid the sun. I am from sunny Southern California. So I do like a good tan and um, I don't recommend, you know, going outside to get a tan. I do just have like those self tanners 
And, uh, and if I ever do move back there, then I'm going to have to be extra careful. It hasn't been an issue. Like I lived in Philadelphia and New York pretty much the three years that I've had my transplant. And it's never been like, I mean, even when it is super sunny, I just avoid it. And it's only sunny during the summer, but we'll see what has to change if I do ever move back to California. Uh, but there's really not much else you can do other than very close surveillance with your dermatologist. I know that some people even go every six months instead of every year. And then of course, use, if you do want a nice tan, use those lotions with like self tanners, which, you know, I use all the time. And then uh, SPF at least 30. Yeah, I should have mentioned that as well. The the best thing you can do is make sure you do yearly to uh, every six month visits with your dermatologist. I think other than your transplant physicians, they should be your most important physician to see. They're going to be, you know, the ones who maybe save your life. And, and I say that especially for as people move 20, 30, even people are heading towards like 40 years post-transplant. That's the type of stuff that you're going to need to be looking out for. Um, and those are the type of physician visits that you really shouldn't miss. Yeah, it's so funny because a lot of people ask me like, why are you at doctor's appointments all the time? Like, do you have to check your heart once a week? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. We have to like check for cancers. And check for, like there's a lot more to this than just heart transplant. And derm is one of the main ones that we have to do surveillance on or with. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We will be back again in two weeks. We don't have an exact episode planned at that time, but stick with us for this second season as as we're getting things started. We have awesome plans to talk about coronary artery vasculopathy, uh, xenotransplantation, as some of you may have seen. There was recently a pig's heart transplanted into a human that we can't wait to talk about um, and other awesome episodes ahead. So stick with us. Thanks for listening to uh, both sides of the stethoscope. Just if you have any comments, messages, concerns, questions, anything at all, feel free to email us at both sides of the stethoscope at gmail.com. Um, also, you should follow us and subscribe to our podcast. You can follow us on both Instagram and Twitter at both sides of the stethoscope. See you guys soon. Bye. I feel like there's so much to say, but a lot of it is like so above. Yeah, like, it's way above even. Medical, yeah. Like, like I talk I, about like. <laughs> the desmoplakin like desmosomes but i don't think people care no and we have medical knowledge and a lot of it's above my head like (laughs) how crazy some of this can get so that's why i didn't even want to get into like the different dna proteins and stuff like (laughs) just try and keep it keep it simple and straightforward yours Um, is literally just one t that's a a t to an a transition oh my god i know right Stupid Um, gene. I know. I know. (laughs) What are you going to do, I guess?